Welcome to our eighth episode of the IE Ion Industry Podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at employee engagement and the importance of gratitude in the workplace. As we all know, the pandemic has had some emotional impact on us all, whether it be the natural stress related to the uncertainty in the world, quarantining, or readjusting your basic routines with your family to remain safe. This environment has been one of the most difficult in recent memory. Even the simple act of remote work or going back to your job with reconfigured shop floors or new operating procedures can be overwhelming for even the most resilient and productive staffers. But as you'll soon find out, addressing the human element of your business is sometimes easier than you think and can drive meaningful increases in productivity and profitability during times when morale is low. Today, we've invited Lisa Ryan, Chief Appreciation Strategist at Gratigy, to talk about the importance of employee engagement and strategies to strengthen your workplace culture during these uncertain times. Lisa is an award-winning speaker and author of 10 books. Her expertise includes strengthening workplace culture improving employee engagement, increasing customer retention, and initiating gratitude strategies, strategies for personal and professional benefit. We're excited to have Lisa join us today. Lisa, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for asking. So everyone who's listening will have received a primer on who you are and what you do, but I suppose before we begin, maybe you can tell our listening audience, how does one get into the gratitude business? (laughs) Uh, Well, you have a personal experience with gratitude that changes your life. Um, No, I I had gone to, it was in 2009, and I went to a, a seminar, a four-day seminar with some of my friends, and there was a firewalk involved. So you can probably you know, guess whose seminar that was. And at the end of the seminar, we were driving home from Chicago and we were really jacked up. I mean, you spend four days doing that kind of work. It's, it's pretty exciting. And we also knew that unless we took action, all of that would go right back to where we were before. And of course, we didn't want that to happen again because, you know, being seminar junkies, you get your fix and then you wait for the next one to happen. And so we decided to open up a Facebook thread and every day we share with each other, you know, people we met, things we learned, experiences that we had. And one of my friends said, well, why don't we write down, why don't we share three things that we're grateful for? I was like, all right, that's fine. You know, did it every day and we held each other accountable. And it was that practice that really changed everything. I went into it completely, um, you know, not having any expectations. I did not know. I didn't watch Oprah. So I didn't know that she was on a whole gratitude kick at this time. I didn't know any of this. All I knew is that I was sharing the things that I was grateful for with my friends. And it was that that changed everything. I mean, I was in medical sales at the time. And customers that I hadn't talked to for months were calling me, hey, can you come in and sell me some stuff? And I was like, I will be right there. I had um, three systems, three hospital systems that I'd been calling on for almost five years that seemed to close effortlessly. I noticed the difference from my husband, who was becoming more verbally appreciative, certainly wasn't because I was keeping the kitchen any cleaner. 
Um, so all of these things were changing, but the only thing that I had changed was this practice of gratitude. So that's really where the research began. And I've read, you know, thousands of white papers and books and attended programs to see, you know, is gratitude more than this feel good emotion that we associated with it. And the other thing that occurred to me is that I knew that it was the message I was supposed to share. Um, I wanted to be a speaker. I had been thinking about it for a while, but I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to share. I was in sales, had a career of more than 20 years in sales, but I really didn't want to speak about that. And I had done some network marketing, but again, that didn't draw my attention. But when I saw the life-changing benefits of gratitude and how easy it is to do, and of course, how easy it is not to do, <laughs> um, that was the decision that changed everything. And so, you know, 10 years later, I actually gave my first talk on gratitude in January of 2010. And 10 years later, I've spoken to, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people sharing this message. And, and I guess how, in particular, how does one get into the gratitude business within a manufacturing contest, context? The interesting thing about that is when I first started the um, my business, it was all going to be about gratitude. And then very early on, one of my friends said, you know, you know, nobody's ever going to pay you for gratitude. So I switched the languaging and I went to employee engagement because it was the exact same thing. When employees feel appreciated, valued, and connected to the organization, they're more likely to be engaged and to stay. And then as my speaking career went on, I was really focusing on engagement but there became this conversation around gratitude. So I never hit it. I mean, my talks are like, you know, take your thanks to the bank, you know, show appreciation, <laughs> those kind of things. Um, but in my manufacturing audiences, I get hired just as much for gratitude as I do with employee retention because people get it. And when they have some strategies and processes that can help them personally so that they have a better relationship with their spouse or their significant other and they have a stronger relationship with their children and with everybody else in their life and that reduces the stress it's a lot easier to bring that person into the plant that person into the workplace because now it's more about just the employee engagement box that you have to check off the list it's about really looking for the good, not only in your day, but looking for the good in the people that work for you. And when you can put the numbers behind that, um, it all makes sense. So even though my audiences are primarily manufacturing, they're primarily guys, um, it's not a soft subject. It's not something soft and fluffy. It's not even spiritual that way. It, it's looking for the good and finding value in your life and the lives of the people who work for you. And that increases business productivity and profitability. And so would you say you work on the whole more with say industrial line workers or more C-suite types? I do both. Um, the interesting thing is, is that it has to start in the C-suite because if leadership doesn't get it, if they bring me in and they just have me work with their hourly employees, which I absolutely love working with the hourly employees. But if leadership is either sitting in the back of the room, you know, checking their emails and not paying any attention, people notice that. It, the, 
company culture starts at the top. So when I work with an organization, I like to, to start at the top, to work with the leaders, to, to get that mentality, to get that buy-in. But then what happens when I walk, when I work with the shot, with the people in the plant, a lot of times it's such a privilege because I may be the first quote unquote motivational speaker that a lot of these people have ever heard before, you know? And so it gives me the opportunity to share with them concepts that maybe they didn't hear. And one of my favorites, it's kind of funny. I was, I was uh, working with a manufacturing plant. They had me come in for five programs in one day. There was one for the leadership team that I did one version of my program and then four for the hourly employees. So of course the first one is at, you know, 5.30 in the morning and I'm walking in there and it's a union shop. So all these people just like crossing their arms, looking at me like, what's this girl gonna teach us? You know, and you could almost hear them saying, oh, there's, she's gonna try to make us be more profitable and get more productivity. And it was just all attitude. So I just told them right off the bat, I said, you know what? I don't care if you take a single thing back from this program today that's gonna make the company more money. I don't care if it makes you more productive. I don't care if it makes you more profitable. Don't care about any of that. What if in the next 75 minutes, I gave you some strategies that you could have better relationships with your spouse, with your family, um, less stress, better sleep? Would that be worth paying attention to? And I had them. And the interesting thing about that is when I came back, you know, six months later, they had me come back again. And they were more productive and they were more profitable and they treated each other with respect because the workers got it and they saw that it was coming from leadership that their leaders had invested in them and it changed everything but it's two different conversations because with the leaders it's more about the culture and with the um, workers it's more about themselves and how it can make them better people so I have no doubt that a, let's say a dangerous, you know, quote unquote, dirty job can provide a sense of purpose to people. Um, but I'm wondering, however, where sort of states of mind meet reality. For, for example, there are certain industries like working in a slaughterhouse where the psychological toll of working in that environment is somewhat inescapable. Right. How do you orient someone's emotions to a more positive disposition when what is going around, uh, what, what's going on around them is, is really like unequivocally bad. You know, now what we're talking about does not take the place of medical advice or anything like that or psychological counseling, but I will tell you that that simple act of um, keeping a gratitude journal and by, by what I mean by a gratitude journal is when I wake up in the morning before my feet hit the ground, I think about and write down five things for which I'm grateful and add a little bit of um, detail to it. You know, because if every day I wrote down, I'm grateful for my husband, I'm grateful for my cats, I'm grateful for my house, you know, it gets really boring really quickly. But if I write down, I'm so grateful that Scott cooked a great dinner last night, or I'm so grateful for watching a movie with two kitties sitting on my lap, you know, it adds some detail. So let's just take the the aspect of the slaughterhouse where it is psychological, you know, all of this, this um, environment that people are in. And maybe the gratitude is, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I have reliable transportation that gets me to the plant. 
I'm grateful that the end result of my working here is that I am providing food for people. I'm grateful for, you know, the, the people that I work with. I, I have friends at work. So when you start where you're at, you know, it, it doesn't have to be uh, everything about, oh, I'm so grateful. I won the lottery. I got the perfect job. I, you know, all of these things that we think about is big. We can think about the fact that we have running water, flushing toilets, you know, <laughs> through COVID-19, we now have toilet paper back. You know? <laughs> I mean, we can, you start where you're at and just that little process. And if, you know, you're in a really dark place right now and you can't find that, think of one thing, just one teeny tiny little thing that you can be grateful for, write it down. And then maybe the next day you can find two things. And maybe a couple days later, you can find three. So it's just starting to develop that mental process of looking for the good. And if you have somebody in your house or you, if you have a friend, remember, my gratitude practice was started with three friends on Facebook. So maybe you have a friend that you can just text in the morning and share some gratitudes or use a Facebook thread or just do something because not only does it help you build a deeper relationship with that person you're sharing the gratitude, but it also um, doesn't give you the excuse to not do it today or to get out of the process, the practice of doing it. And I would imagine there, there's a tremendous amount of literature on how positive states of affect can improve your general well-being. You mentioned some of these things like sleep, mm -hmm. uh, relationships. Obviously, everyone is still living in the COVID era, and it's difficult for many people to be grateful or to even see any sort of positive light. I think if you're living through this crisis relatively unscathed, it's probably easy to be grateful in light of the surrounding carnage, but if you're sick, you've lost a loved one, lost a job, how does one stimulate the sense of being grateful, even if it's somewhat artificial? Yeah, you know, this is, a, you know, undoubtedly a difficult time to start a gratitude practice, but which makes it even more important to start because there's that old saying that says, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time to plant a tree is today. So with your gratitude practice, I've been doing mine for 11 years now. So because I've rewired my brain to look for the good, it can be a little easier for me to find it. Now, this doesn't, this does not say that there are days that I just don't want, that I, you know, just want to curl up in a little ball on the floor and wait for 2020 to finally be over with. Okay, this is a tough year. But if we take a step back and we look at some of the gifts from COVID, I've been married to my husband for 24 years. Him and I have never spent this amount of quality time together. And we complain about the fact that we don't have time because we're all running back and forth and I'm traveling and doing all this kind of stuff. I'm actually home. You know, I'm not getting on airplanes and getting mad at the airlines and hotels and all that kind of stuff, even though I have to say I really do miss travel. And, but yeah, I think that too, one of the most profound things that really stuck out, and this was really at the beginning of COVID, when the whole world shut down and it was Earth Day, which it was April something, and they were showing before and after pictures of the planet and some of the most polluted places on the Earth. 
and what happened a month after human beings stopped everything that they were doing and the clear skies and in India where you could see mountains that you never saw before and in LA when there was no haze. So we can just, we can look for the little things um, and even if it's a stretch and even if like you said, it feels fake at the beginning, you just keep that practice. And if you're saying, well, I don't believe this, the question to ask yourself is, what would happen if I believed it? What would happen if I believed that COVID was a gift? Because your brain cannot not answer a question. So when you say, what would happen if I looked for the something good out of this situation, your brain would go, huh, I don't know. Let me think about that. What would happen if I decided to find something good? And it's just these little practices, again, done consistently, over time that help and there's some there's some times like when my when i used to have a travel schedule but i would get out of practice of of writing in my journal and i, it, I wouldn't feel the same you know it would be something like my my energy was off or i wasn't as happy or was like, what is going on with me and it's like oh haven't been writing in my gratitude journal i get back to it and it changes things immediately so it's just really committing to the practice and, and making it an important part of your life. And it's literally two minutes. You all, everybody can find two minutes in the day to just take that back and, and write down three to five things that you're grateful for. When you work with companies, what does a typical engagement look like? What, what Are you coming up with a plan for them that is in a sense trackable or can convert to some sort of quantitative metrics? How do you, how do you translate the, the psychological benefits of the strategy to sort of corporate bottom line benefits of it? Sure. Well, every company that I work with, you know, I, I put together a plan specific for them based on where they're at. The interesting thing about the companies that I work for though, is a kind of joke about it. When I'm done with a program, uh, and, and an audience member will come up to me and say, oh, my company really needs you. I basically know that there's not a chance in Hades that that company is going to hire me because it's the companies that are already doing things well and want to get better that are more likely to make the investment in their employees and in their culture. The companies that are just those horrible, toxic places that are just turning and burning employees until their leadership actually gets a clue and makes the changes over time to, to um, create a culture that works better. You know, there, there's not a whole lot of hope for them because it has to start at the top. So we start with a, um, an employee survey and managers are given the tools to act on that information very quickly. Because all too often what happens is that a company will hire some, you know, high-priced consultant to come in to do all of this, you know, extravagant employee surveys and all this kind of stuff. And then they sit on it for six or eight months while they're processing the information. And by that time, the employees are like, well, I didn't hear anything back about the last survey. Why would I waste my breath telling you my thoughts again? Um, there's also, I've, I've heard of companies that when they send out surveys, 
if there's any handwritten parts of it, the managers will sit in the back room and try to figure out whose handwriting that is so they could figure out who to be mad at. You know, you have to go into these surveys almost from a point of a poker face. It doesn't matter what that employee says to you, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing because even in the most heated feedback, there's probably a grain of truth that your leadership team needs to focus on so that you can start to make the improvements, to let the employees know that you're listening to them, to let them know that they're being heard and to give them, to give the credit where it's due. Um, it does, this is not something that changes overnight. And that's the sad part is too many companies give up before they start to see the results because they think that there's some kind of easy button. Well, we did a survey. Well, we had a party. Why isn't the culture better? Because that was what you did this week. What are you going to do next month and six months from now and three years from now to keep this energy going? To, to what extent do you view activities like this as being um, not necessarily manipulative, but an effort of the employer to uh, really like, however benevolent the, the intent is, control, you know, worker, workers' hearts and minds, but from a self-interested perspective. Do you think that point comes across to employees ever? I think at the beginning, um, employees, particularly if they have burned in the past, they're looking to be burned, so they're paying attention because they haven't built up the trust in leadership. Because obviously, there is a self-interest involved in this. Businesses must be profitable. You have to make money to stay in business. You have to be able to, to have money coming in so that you can buy your equipment, so that you can maintain your equipment, and you can pay your employees. And employees don't mind, um, you know, and I don't want to use the word being manipulated. They don't mind if you as a leader are making an honest, sincere um, approach to connecting with them. If this is a check the box, they're going to see right through it. But if in your heart as a leader, you're actually like, you know what, I want to know about how my, my employees are doing. I want to connect with them. Maybe I've never done it before, so it's going to come out fake, and I'm going to make some mistakes. But if it, it depends really on how you're going into it, because your whole attitude surrounding it, if it's only about the bottom line, it's not going to work. But if the bottom line benefits while you are connecting with your employees, while you're creating a much better culture from your company, then it's a win-win. Well, I am grateful that we had the opportunity to chat today. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, I am, my website is lisaryanspeaks.com. And I have all kinds of videos and blogs and stuff there. The other thing too is I'm really active on LinkedIn, which you can find me either by searching Lisa Ryan Gratigy or Ask Lisa Ryan is my LinkedIn handle. Um, I have post videos and articles every day on LinkedIn with all kinds of tips to engage with and, and uh, retain your employees and gratitude, uh, gratitude segments and all that. So, you know, just give me a note, just write me a note that you heard me on the show and I'd love to connect with you. Lisa, appreciate you taking the time to chat and look forward to speaking with you again soon. That sounds Thanks. awesome. Thank you.